Welcome back to Everything is Public Health, the Public Health Explained series. Last time on Public Health Explained, we talked about case control studies. And as a reminder, we use this to figure out what might have been a cause or an association with a certain outcome by gathering up all the cases, trying to find some comparison group or matched control group that we want to look at in comparison, and then trying to figure out which exposures the two groups have in the past and see if there are similarities or differences to try to figure out what might be that association or that cause in the cases. And ideally, we would find the cases that have this thing would have a greater proportion of having been exposed to a particular thing to help us figure out what might be the cause. Exactly. So that was starting with a specific outcome first. So maybe a type of cancer or type of illness or just a type of anything really and see what may have caused it. Another public health question that we love to ask is, does this make people sick? So instead of starting with people who are sick and looking back to see what might be the exposure, we sometimes will start with the exposure first. And this is what we call a cohort study, where we might identify a group of people who could have had a particular exposure and we follow them through time. I wish people could see my hand signal. MJ's <laughs> arms as I'm as I'm talking. He's like directing traffic, airplanes, <laughs> a throwback to the noise episode. Yeah, that is a cohort study. So again, let's do this conceptually because just telling you the textbook definition is boring and not the point of this podcast. Newsfest. So let's say a particular city's water supply is compromised, and I'm not going to give any specific city's name. So let's just say a random city like uh, <coughs> Jackson, Mississippi, or Flint, or whatever. Just we just pick a random city and want to see how the residents of this city, uh, health-wise, in the long run, like does this compromised water supply affect them health-wise in the long run? Immediately, you run into the problem of well, there's no way we can randomize this. <laughs> right. We've talked previously that sometimes there are questions we want to answer. We want to know the impacts of an exposure to a thing. But ethically, thankfully, we are at a place where we say, "Mm, it's not really cool to (laughs) expose people to things that we think are harmful and not expose others to it because that would be ethically questionable. So one of the challenges, right? So I think we've talked briefly before about sort of the gold standard for assessing whether two things are have a causal relationship, and that's a randomized control trial. So you gather up a group of folks, you randomize them to be exposed or not, could be to a treatment, an exercise, a behavioral intervention, whatever it is. And because you've randomized, you get to ignore some of the potential differences between the groups as due to chance. And then once you've done your experiment, you get to assume because you've randomized that whatever difference you see between the groups is a result of your exposure as a researcher. It's really hard to do. Often we're really only doing these in sort of the clinical context. So thinking about the COVID-19 vaccine, there were randomized control trials to test the efficacy, sort of can something work and, and how does it work? But we really are limited to to more observational style studies, often in public health, because we want to look at things that we expect are likely to be harmful and we don't get to randomize people. Yeah. So an RCT is off the table as in randomized control trial. But just like the case control study, it's not a good idea to just look at the exposed people living in the city with a compromised water supply. You need another group to compare it to. Right. A comparison is important because if you're only looking at your exposed group and you see an association, you have no way of knowing if that's actually because of the exposure or just something that might have happened if you were following a group of people over time. 
So you want to make sure that you have a comparison so that you can look to see what happened among people who were exposed compared to people who weren't exposed. Yeah. And the same challenges of finding that control group is the same here for both case control and cohort study. Like finding how do you pick your comparison group is incredibly challenging, especially if you're trying to do like if the entire city has a compromised water supply, like do you find residents of another city? Like how do you make sure that city is comparable to this city? Or do you pick people who only drink bottled water in the city with a compromised water supply? It's really hard to do. And researchers spend a ton of times like fussing over details like this. Not fussing. That is a negative term. (laughs) Focusing Uh, on. They spend a lot of time focusing on details like this because it is important. Just to pick your brain, like if you're trying to do like a Flint or a Jackson, Mississippi, like how would you pick control? Yeah, that's hard. So, I mean, really, if you're if you're thinking about a cohort study, it's following a group of people who generally are similar and following them through time. So it would be more challenging to pick different cities like there. You're not necessarily doing a cohort study. If you pick other cities, you're potentially getting into like a comparative interrupted time series or one of these other things if you're following over time, as opposed to a cohort where you have a group of folks that have been exposed to a thing and you follow them forward. So I would say probably you would want to try to find, hopefully not the entire city's water would be contaminated in this example. Hopefully there might be one treatment plant that's functional and one that's not, and you would be able to compare the outcomes of folks in the city, looking at people who are exposed to the contaminated water versus not exposed. Yeah, that would be ideal. But it can be challenging because often the infrastructure is all tied together. Is such that everybody gets sort of a little bit of exposure. Yeah, that's tough because even if you find a comparable city, the fact that it's a different city means that you potentially have a lot of confounders. It's not necessarily part of the cohort at that point. So essentially, you have two groups. You're exposed and you're not exposed. Ideally, they would be similar in a lot of ways, except for the exposure. And you follow them over time, right? In this case, people exposed to a city's deteriorating water system, cough, cough, Flint and Jackson, and those that are similar in many ways, but not as exposed. This is what we would refer to as a prospective cohort study, meaning you've identified your folks who are exposed and you're following following them forward in time. And you might be waiting to see when people get a particular outcome, how frequently that outcome crops up, how long it takes from the time of exposure to when you expect that outcome to develop. So these are the kinds of things you might be looking for prospectively. Yeah. So in the water thing, maybe one of the benefits of a cohort study is that you can look at many outcomes at the same time. So maybe worth looking at maybe lead poisoning, perhaps I don't know. It depends on how messed up the water is, I guess. But you could look at whatever outcomes that you want to to follow them over time. But how often do we get to do a prospective study, right? Following people over time is a lot of money and time. Well, a lot of time, which means a lot of money. Yeah, it's pretty rare because you. it's not just that you are sort of passively watching folks. It's not like we've got rats in a cage right. that we can just sort of watch <laughs> uh, them over time, right? These are human beings who are living their lives, but we need information from them. And so they might have to complete surveys or do interviews and you have to incentivize people to participate over time. And then you need somebody to analyze the data, et cetera. So that can get costly. More often, we do a retrospective 
cohort study. So prospective, we're looking forward in time. Retrospective, we have this cohort identified and we look back in time to try to see what their exposures were. So let's do this conceptually again. Let's say uh, there was a coal power plant from a long time ago, maybe like 30, 40 years ago. And we want to see whether living near this coal power plant affects our health. Spoilers, it does. Uh, When this happens, the people have already lived there, right? This is from 30 years ago. They have already lived next to the coal power plant. And the public health researcher, us in this case, wants to answer the question, has living near this power plant affected your health? Is that grammatically correct? Well, yeah, but except you called it a coal plant in the first part of your example. Coal power plant. There we go. Yes. But then you said nuclear power plant just now. All right. You know what, listeners? Just pretend I didn't say that. (laughs) So has... Does living near this coal power plant affect your health? There we go. So it's very similar conceptual process, but the approach is different because it has already happened. Because it's already happened and you've already identified the cohort and you're looking back in time, often there is some kind of data that these people have contributed in some way. Yeah. Often we're thinking about administrative data or medical records, medical claims data, but we're using, for lack of a better term, old data or existing data. And we're looking at people who were exposed and unexposed and sort of following them in air quotes from the time of the exposure forward which is different from a case control study where we already know who has the cases and then we're looking back at the exposure. In this case, we know the exposure and we're looking back in time to follow them forward to see if they had an outcome. Yeah, we're like following them forward in a hypothetical sense. No, not following them forward in a figurative sense, I guess, because we have their data already. Right, we're going back in time Go forward in time <laughs> to the start of the cohort to then follow them through as opposed to starting now and moving forward. So let's go over the advantages and the disadvantages of a cohort study. And one of the things we mentioned already, if you're doing a retrospective cohort study, it is cheaper to do because essentially you're just looking for data and you're analyzing already existing data instead of collecting more data. You mentioned this previously, you can look at multiple outcomes from a single exposure. So you can look at different kinds of health effects and how they might be related to a particular exposure in the environment or from an occupational exposure, those kinds of things. Yeah. And another thing with a cohort study is because whether it's a retrospective one or a prospective one, there's clear temporality, meaning that in both cases, ideally, the cause is preceding the effect which is something that is very important. Yeah, you want to make sure that there is clear temporal precedence that whatever you think is the cause came before somebody had the outcome, right? As we talked about in the example previously, uh, this can help you figure out new cases of things. And if you think back to one of our first Public Health Explained episodes, we talked about incidence and prevalence. And so using a cohort study, you can get incidence data and that can help you calculate other kinds of neat public health. What is It's not a tool. Uh, public stats. Health. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, it can help you calculate other neat public health statistics like relative and absolute risk. Which we will get to in a future episode. Another advantage is this is great for rare exposure. So whereas a case control is great for a rare outcome, if you have a rare exposure, i.e. a very specific event in history that causes a lot of harm, and that probably won't ever happen again for another 100 years, this is great for that because you have that exposure already going forward. So those were some of the pros, which are many, and cohort studies can be great. But there are some cons or maybe some weaknesses that are still not addressed. Still an observational study, 
We don't get to randomize people to being exposed or not. Ethically, usually not something that will fly. And so we just have to observe, meaning that there's still biases that are present in the experiment, which can't be accounted for, but that's just the way things work. Yeah. And we'll talk about like correlation and causation in a future Public Health Explained series and why even if you can't run an RCT, there are ways for you to build up your evidence base to sort of push for an argument for causation, which we'll get into later. Um, Another disadvantage of this is that it is terrible if your condition or outcome is rare. So if it happens like a fraction of a percentage of the time, that means you need to follow like perhaps thousands of people to even get a single case. So not good if you're looking for something that's super rare. Right. That's again when you would want to do a case control study as opposed to a cohort study. So not every study design is going to be suitable for every kind of question you want to answer. Another challenge is it can be hard to find data Sometimes there might be existing data, but perhaps the questions aren't asked in the way you need them or the data is not gathered in the way you want it. For example, one that we often struggle with is age. So you might get great secondary data, meaning it came from some other source, but the ages come in categories as opposed to just the age of the individual. And so you have Folks who are maybe in 20-year age cohorts, that's all the information you have. So somebody might be 21 or 39 and you don't know because it's just categories. So sometimes it can be hard to find the data in the way that it is most useful. Right. And also one of the biggest issue is differential loss to follow-up, which basically means since this is a cohort study, you're following them over time, whether retrospectively or proactively, you might just lose them in terms of like maybe you miss some of their data or maybe they just decide not to be a part of the study anymore and you can't force someone to stay in the study. And if this loss to follow-up is differential, meaning that if one group has a higher loss to follow-up than the other group, that could really mess with your results and the strength of your argument. And this can be an issue both for prospective and retrospective studies. So it's not just about following people over time and maybe people opting out or not wanting to participate moving forward. But something, if you're using medical records, for example, and let's say you're drawing them from the MedStar health system, if somebody is in the system and seeing these doctors and then moves or decides to change doctors and now they're in a different system, their information is no longer in there, even though nothing happened to them. They've just been lost to follow up because you won't be able to collect that data and see what they're exposures led to moving forward. Yeah. Lastly, no matter which one you do, whether retrospective or prospective, it is still very expensive to do a cohort study just because of the time and investment that you need. Uh, Finding control is always hard. So there you go. That's in a nutshell, sort of. I was just going to say the same thing. Cohort studies in a nutshell. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health, our new Public Health Explained series. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps the show immensely. Send us questions or comments or new topics you want us to explain to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. This episode is brought to you by Reusable Bag. You know those things that everywhere hands out for free, those free tote bags? Yeah, you can bring those to a grocery store and not use plastic bags. Love my reusable shopping bags. I use them everywhere. 
Follow us on Twitter at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krifasi. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below. Listeners, please visit our website, which is our Patreon page for all major updates and bonus material. We are 100% patron supported in that we do this not for the big paychecks and sponsors, but for the love of public health and listeners like you. If you want to support the show directly, you can support us on our Patreon page. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.